0: Good morning, church. Man, it's so good to hear you singing about the goodness of God this morning. Uh, If you're new with us this morning, uh, we are so glad you're here. Uh, We want you to know we're a church that strives to be simply about Jesus. and want to help people meet, know, and follow him. Uh, my name is Chad McCartney. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm the discipleship pastor here at Austin Oaks Church. Uh, and, and today we're in the midst of a, a series we just started last week titled Enjoying God. And the heart of it is kind of this phrase that uh, John Piper is kind of coined, but it's about this idea that glo- God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. And what does that look like to be satisfied in Him and be joyful in Him? So today we want to kind of model that. And so our service is going to be a little different today. That's why I'm up here a little quicker than usual. We're going to weave some songs through the message a little bit today. So it's going to be a little bit of teaching and some response in that. You're going to have an opportunity to do some responses right where you're at. You have a little note card there. Uh, You're going to write at two different times during the service. You're going to have a chance to write something about the goodness of God today as we go into Thanksgiving. One on one side and then the other one on the other side. So if you're one of those long writers, you better write small because the backside's for something later in the service. If you don't have something to write with, I'm giving you permission to pull your phone out today and open up your note app and you can do it on here. This is important enough that I want you to think about this and meditate on this because I think this truth and this passage is so important for us as the church today. So today we're talking about the goodness of God. The goodness of God. And it's important that when we understand the goodness of God that it's not measured by some standard of goodness that we have out here and we evaluate God by it. That's how most of us approach God. Here's the standard of goodness and I'm going to measure God by it. But that's not how it works. You see, God is good. It's who he is and it's all that he does does and if you get nothing else out of this this morning please take that truth because you might be wrestling and and many of us are and many of us will be uh through things that you're going where's god in the midst of this mess and we start questioning his goodness because we have our standard of what goodness is and we evaluate him by it rather than saying god who you are and what you do is good And if something's out of alignment in this, it's in my heart, Lord. Please change me. So that's what we want to look at today. And we're going to look at a a psalm called Psalm 118. It's in your Bible. Uh, It's good today. We usually talk about things in the Bible. Here, if I go off of the Bible, then I'd be concerned. But we're going to talk about Psalm 118. And it's the last of, of what is often referred to as the six Egyptian Hallel Psalms. Now you're probably thinking, what the hell is that? <laughs> and, and I, I know, I'm starting way too early, aren't I? It's too early in the morning, too early in the service. It was just it was low-hanging fruit. You gotta pick those as you do that. But the hillel psalms are, are praise psalms. That's what the word means. It's the same root that we get hallelujah from. And groups of psalms and the psalms are are put together and they're praise psalms. And the Egyptian halal psalms were psalms that were traditionally for hundreds of years, for centuries, the Jewish people sang these psalms during the Passover, several of the festivals, but in particular the Passover festival. And it, it starts from Psalm 113, and it ends at Psalm 118 that we're going to talk about today. They'd sing Psalm 113 and 114 before the Passover meal, and the rest of them they'd weave throughout the meal and some after. And then the very last one they would sing together, like hymns, was Psalm 118 that we're going to look at today. So, if you pray with me, uh, we'll have the, the message or the passages up on the screen as well. You can open up your Bible. I'd encourage you, if you have it, to do that. You can jot things down into your Bible to help you understand this psalm, which is a beautiful and rich psalm uh, that we're going to open up today. So let's pray. Father God, we love you and, and praise you and can praise you because you have revealed yourself to us. And Lord, we don't always fully understand it, we don't always fully understand you, and that's a good thing because you're God. If we could fully understand you, then you wouldn't be that big. And so, Lord, today as we talk about your goodness, my prayer would be that your spirit would soften our hearts and our minds, and, and Lord, that you would open our eyes to how good you are in ways that we haven't fully understood. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Horatio Spafford was an American lawyer and a businessman who lived uh, from 1828 to 1888. In 1871, Spafford experienced a series of tragedies that would change his life forever. First, his only son died of scarlet fever at the age of four. Then the great Chicago fire destroyed much of his real estate holdings and left him financially ruined. In 1873, he planned a trip to Europe with his wife and four daughters uh, to support D.L. Moody's evangelistic crusades, hoping that the change of scenery would somehow minister to their hearts and just help them heal from their losses. However, at the last minute, Spafford was delayed by business and sent his family on ahead on the SS Via du Havre. Tragically, the ship collided with another vessel and sank in the Atlantic Ocean, killing 226 people, including his four daughters. When Spafford learned of the tragedy, he was devastated when traveling by ship to meet up with his wife, he was inspired to write the famous hymn, It Is Well With My Soul, that has brought comfort to millions of people over the years. My guess is that Spafford is not the only Christian who's ever experienced great tragedy in their life. In fact, uh, in a room this size, There's probably a lot of you that have experienced some pretty difficult and deep tragedies. Tragic circumstances, any one of them. Maybe the untimely death of a loved one in your own life. Maybe an unexpected medical diagnosis that came out of the blue and completely rocked your world. Maybe the devastating and dream-shattering loss of a relationship or financial hardship that just seems unsurmountable in your life. Maybe the betrayal of, of a friend or the abuse of a loved one. The ridicule and rejection of those who you thought cared for you and accepted you. And that's not even touching on the widespread tragedies that have plagued our world, wars, genocides, sex trafficking, racial oppression, the list goes on. But how can we possibly give thanks to God for being good when there's so much tragedy in our world? In fact, how can we give thanks to God for being good when there's been great tragedies in our own personal lives? Today's message may poke at some very painful things in your life. Let it poke. Have the courage to ponder God's goodness in the midst of your deepest pain. And if you get really mad, email me at (laughs) bj.forgeson at austinoakschurch.org. In all seriousness, there's three questions I want to look at that this psalm answers that I think are incredibly important for us as Christians. The first is this, is how does God display his goodness? How does God best display his goodness? We're going to see that in this psalm, a beautiful picture. Second thing is, is how has God expressed his goodness toward us? So how does he in general express his goodness in the best way? But how, then we're going to go on to see how does he express it towards us? And then lastly, and most importantly, is how does God's greatest expression of goodness overcome all evil? How does God display his goodness? How has he expressed it to us? And how does his greatest expression overcome all evil? All evil. So, if you have your Bible with you, or you want to follow along. We're going to look at that first point, and we're going to respond to this in just a minute. But the first point is is right there in, this, in the first four verses of this psalm when he says, "This give thanks to the Lord. Why? For He is good. We give thanks to Him for He is good." But then the psalmist defines that goodness. He says, "His faithful love endures forever." That's how God expresses this. And then he goes on to to include everyone in this poetic way. Let Israel say, his faithful love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, like all the priests, let them say, his faithful love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, his faithful love endures forever. So, So here's the first thing the psalmist wants us to see in this passage. Is I see God's goodness most clearly in his faithful love. I see his goodness most clearly in his faithful love. And with faithful love, this isn't just the generic love that you see throughout the scriptures. This is a very specific love that's revealed over and over in the scriptures. In the Old Testament, it was referred to as his hesed love. The Greek word is hesed is faithful, his steadfast love. This is a unique love that's unlike any of the other loves that God expresses. It is never ending. It's it's not a love that you fall out of, that's sung about in many T. Swift songs. It's not that kind of love. It's not a providential love, right? The Bible speaks of God's providential love. He says, the birds of the air, they, they fly around, they don't store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. He says, how much more will he care for you? He's speaking of this providential love for his creation. That's not the love he's talking about here. It's, It's deeper than that. He says, hey, for one penny, two sparrows can be purchased. Meaning in the world, two sparrows, I mean, the smallest coin you can have, you can get two sparrows for that. And yet, Jesus says, not even one of them falls to the ground without your heavenly father knowing it. That's his providential love. But that's not the love he's talking about here. This is a love that's even deeper and richer than that kind of love. It's not God's conditional love. You know, he has some conditional love. In fact, we talked about it just in the past weeks. Pastor Brandon talked about it in in giving in 2 Corinthians 9-7. It says, for God loves a cheerful giver. Right? Do you ever stop and ask that? So God loves a cheerful giver. Have you ever given uncheerfully before? Hmm, chew on that for a little bit. That's not the kind of love we're talking about here. God has some love that's based on conditions, on how we behave. He has a love for us that's stirred up in the midst of that, our obedience. That's not this love. This is his faithful, unending love for us. In fact, here's how I would define it. It's God's faithful love. It's his particular, unconditional, never-ending love for those whom he has chosen. That's the love he's talking about in this psalm. And when you understand this love, it'll Change your heart to see how good he is. I want to just show you this several places in scripture. One of the first places we see it is when God reveals himself to Moses in Exodus chapter 34. He uses this particular phrase. He says, the Lord passed in front of him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love. Love. That's the same term maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations, meaning it's unending. This love never ends. In Deuteronomy 7, 7 through 9, you see him saying this. He says, the Lord has set his heart on you and chose you. He's speaking this to Israel. Not because you were more numerous than all peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples, But because the Lord loved you, that's this love, this Hesed, he loved you and he kept the oath he swore to your ancestors. He brought you out with a strong hand and redeemed you from the place of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God, who keeps his gracious covenant loyalty for a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commandments. In the New Testament, we see this as well. In Ephesians 1.4, Ephesians 1.4, it says, For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in what? Love before him. This is that love that he has for us. He goes on later in that same book to say in 5.23, he says, Husbands, love your wives just as what? Christ loved the church, his people. He has a love for for his people that's unique from every other aspect of his love. It's a facet of it that he's talking about here in this very psalm. Titus 3, he says this, For we too were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved by various passions and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful, detesting one another. This is describing all of us. But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us. Not by works of righteousness that we had done, but according to his mercy, through the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. He poured out his spirit on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So on the first side of your note card, here's what I want you to think about. Here's what I want you to ponder as we begin to worship again and hear a song that's going to sing over us and participate is Is How have you seen God's faithful love toward you? How have you Experience that. And if you're new, maybe maybe you're here and you're still checking it out. You might just write on there, God help me experience this faithful love. If that's something you're still just kind of checking out right now. But if you are one of his children, you can write something. How have you seen his faithful love come into your life in spite of yourself? See, my life was a complete mess. When God found me. He, he was never lost. I never found him. I was the one that was lost. And it completely changed my life. And I experienced this love for the first time in a transforming way. So we're going to sing about this. We're going to praise him for it. And then we're going to walk through the remainder of the psalm as God demonstrates this in multiple ways in each of our lives.
1: gave you peace and the lord said if they pronounce my name as a blessing upon the people of israel i will bless them amen it's what we're singing this morning this is a this is a verse that god himself is declaring upon us it's a blessing upon your family upon your children and their children amen and i love this verse because it's passage Chad said it in his sermon, Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 says, Praise be to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realm with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the word to be holy and blameless in his sight in love. He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasures and will. Amen. This Sunday is all about the goodness of God. And I can't think of any way to think of the goodness of God than just seeing how much he's blessed us and our families. And blessed us as individuals in our lives from the moment that we were born. God has been good to us. And that's what we're singing this morning. If you believe it, would you sing these words the children, with us?
2: His favor be upon you. And a thousand generations in your family. Your children, the children, the children. His favor
0: Show us your goodness. Lord, we come with some hearts leaping with joy, some damaged and broken with tragedy and difficulty. But either way, you are good. But we can't know that unless you show us your goodness. So open our hearts and our eyes to see That you are good so that in good times or in bad times, we can give thanks to you, Lord. For you are worthy. You are good. Amen. You may be seated. The psalmist continues after he makes this great declaration and calls all of God's people to Uh, Declare that God is good, and he goes on to to give multiple displays of God's goodness. And I want us to see each of these culminating in the greatest at the very end. And and the first one uh, comes out of verses 5 through 14. I'm going to give you basically what it summarizes and we'll walk through it. But it says, I experience God's faithful love when he rescues me from adversity. Many of us have had those experiences where we've called out to God in the midst of a really difficult circumstance at some point, and he's rescued it from us. And that's what the psalmist is saying here. He has seen this faithful love of God. And he says it in verse 5. He says, I called to the Lord in distress, and the Lord answered me. He put me in a spacious place. The Lord is for me. I will not be afraid. What can a mere mortal do to me? The Lord is my helper, therefore I will look in triumph on those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in humanity. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in nobles. All the nations surrounded me. In the name of the Lord, I destroyed them. They surrounded me, yes, they surrounded me. In the name of the Lord, I destroyed them. They surrounded me like bees. They were extinguished like a fire among thorns. In the name of the Lord. I destroyed them. They pushed me hard to make me fall, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. See, I experience God's faithful love when he rescues me. And this is often the starting point of our experience with God. When we first meet him through Jesus, we might often have an experience where he, is, he rescues us out of our situation at that point. Whatever we were going or whatever direction we were going, whatever situation we were in, and we first trusted him, he turns it around. And this is an aspect of God's faithful love, but it's not the richest aspect of it. And, and as the psalmist is going to progress in this psalm, he's going to take us deeper and deeper into the faithful love of God. In fact, I want you to envision this faithful love like a, a swimming pool. Okay, and there's a, a shallow end of that pool that you often start in. That's what he's talking about here. And then you go down into a deeper end. And I want you to just picture this. That, that deeper end has no bottom. It just keeps going and going and going. And that's where the psalmist is going to take us. See, this part here, this is not the richest. You could say it's the shallow end of that pool. It's the part of the pool that we often spend too much time swimming in right, we, especially around this time, God help me get this certain present, if I could just get this vehicle, this Lord, door to take care of my needs, and if this girl would go to the Christmas dance with me, you know, that would be great, it would really solve all my problems, uh, God, if that bonus came in at work, and if you'd help me feel a little bit better, you know, I want to be able to eat a little bit more turkey, God, so if you could just get this indigestion to go away, you know, that we, we spend a lot of time swimming in this pool, don't we? God, rescue me from this. Take care of this. You know, I could quote, we want these earthly blessings. We want everything to happen here, and we want God to show up in those moments. And to quote a a Grammy-winning theologian on this, I only talk to God when I need a favor. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) I only pray when I ain't got a prayer. So I need a hellalel, hellalel Psalm to expect a savior. I, I think it goes like that, something like that, right? Did I yeah. did I blow that up? Yeah, that's a pity clap. So the, the ushers, the ushers will be refunding all your money on your way out for that one. But but that's a lot of us. And it doesn't cheapen God's love. It just means we're only swimming in the shallow end of a pool that's so much richer than just that. And as the psalm progresses, uh, the psalmist swims deeper and deeper into that pool and shares with us his experience. He goes on in verse 15, and and here's how we're going to see the second half of this. I'll explain it, and then we'll walk through it. As I experience God's faithful love, when he disciplines me, so I can joyfully praise him for the righteous victory he has produced in me. Let's follow him. Starting in verse 15, he says, There are shouts of joy and victory in the tents of the righteous. The Lord's right hand performs valiantly. The Lord's right hand is raised. The Lord's right hand performs valiantly. I will not die, but I will live and proclaim what the Lord has done. The Lord disciplined me severely, but did not give me over to death. Open the gates of righteousness for me. I will enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the Lord's gate. The righteous will enter through it. I will give thanks to you because you have answered me. And have become my salvation. The psalmist has experienced God's faithful love through the discipline that's come into his life. You see, for Israel, when their enemies uh, came into their land, God would use them. In fact, he says this over and over again. He would send their enemies into the land to oppress them when they were in times of disobedience. And he would use them as a tool to discipline his children. And every time that happened, when they were exiled or when they were infiltrated with their enemies and they were losing, they were to know this because he told them this, read Deuteronomy 28. He told them this is exactly what will happen and this is how I'm going to bring you back to me over and over and over again. And when they would repent and trust in him again and live righteously, he would strengthen them and give them victory over their enemies. And the discipline that he brought upon them would have its purpose of making them righteous once again. The New Testament isn't completely different on this, even though it's not a physical thing as we often see in the Old Testament. What you'll notice is oftentimes what God did physically in the Old Testament is a metaphor for what he was doing spiritually for all of time. And for us as Christians, he allows spiritual enemies to oppress us at times and discipline us towards righteousness. In fact, Paul warns us against this in Ephesians chapter 6. He's preparing us for this to be able to fight properly. When he says in Ephesians 6, he says, put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. He says, for our struggle... Is not against flesh and blood, it's not like Israel's, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavenlies. The author of Hebrews says this in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 3. This is a great memory passage that a lot of you probably are going to want to commit to memory, but we don't. It says, for consider him who endured such hostility from sinners, this is talking of Jesus, against himself, so that you won't grow weary and give up. Then he goes on to say this, in struggling against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And you have forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons. My son, do not take the Lord's discipline lightly, or lose heart when you are reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and punishes every son he receives. Endure suffering as discipline. God is dealing with you as sons. For what son is there that a father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, which all receive, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had human fathers discipline us, and we respected them. Shouldn't we submit even more to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time based on what seemed good to them, but he, God, does it for our benefit so that we can share his holiness. No discipline seems enjoyable at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. That sounds exactly like what the psalmist was saying here. In fact, the image he uses is that he was able to now go into the temple courts, the the Lord's gate, go through the righteous gate because he had been disciplined and made righteous by God's gracious but firm hand. It had allowed him to come into his presence. And he's seeing the goodness of God because of that. The first decade of my career, for the most part, I spent as a teacher and a coach. And one of the sports I coached was football. And I would discipline my athletes for two reasons. One is if they did something wrong, they messed up, they'd get some discipline for that, and, and one case I remember is we were coming back from a, an away game, and we kind of, in Oregon is where we lived at the time, and our, our trips were a bit of a distance, so we'd stop and eat at, after each of the games on the way back somewhere, and then we'd gotten home, and the kids had all dispersed and gotten out, and I'd walk back on the bus, and the bus was a total mess of just wrappers and bags and things like that, that I was so pleased with how they left the bus that day. So uh, when we got back to practice that next Monday, guess what? There was a little bit of discipline for them. And they got to bear crawl the length of the football field multiple times until they all basically collapsed on their bellies. And that wasn't comfortable. There's was a lot of complaining. They were whining about it. But guess what? Not once did we have a dirty bus again after that. It produced righteousness in them. That was one of the reasons I would discipline them. The other reason had nothing to do with them doing anything wrong. It had everything to do with making them better athletes and to perform better at what they had signed up to play. And we would run plays over and over and over again until they got them Properly correct. And in the midst of that, I would weave in bouts of conditioning. So, in the midst of running some of these plays, we'd pause and we'd run some different conditioning drills or do some things that strengthened them and pushed them a little bit further. And they would whine about that as well. They'd complain about it. They'd get upset about it. And they'd continue to complain until we won the conference championship. And then, guess what? They shouted for joy at the victory, at at the victory that my righteous right hand helped bring them into, right? You you see where I'm going with this? Is it making sense at all, right? But they done nothing wrong to deserve that discipline. They got it because I love them, because I wanted them to become the best athletes on the field that they could become, and discipline is what does that. Tom Landry once said, discipline is making a person do what they don't want to do, so that they can become what they do want to become. Some of you are in the midst of these moments of discipline right now. They take all shapes and sizes. And some are caused, some, by wrong actions and wrong attitudes. You're engaged in a relationship that you shouldn't be engaged in. Or you're in a relationship that may be fine, but the boundaries you're crossing in that relationship are not okay. And you're wondering why some other things in your life just don't seem to be going the way you want them to go. For others, it may be how you're stewarding your finances and you're squandering them and you're using them as if God gave them to you simply for you to build the life that you want. And you forgot that you are a steward of God's resources. And not just whatever slice you give to the church is his, everything you have is his. And you're experiencing some pain in that area and you can't seem to get past it because you don't realize that God's discipline is going to be upon you until you recognize how you're doing that and you correct it some of you are proud or even arrogant about your accomplishments and you look down on others with less than you and think that god saving you was for your own sake and your earthly benefit and privilege and comfort rather than for the sake of others And what you thought you'd built up and and so strong and have all these resources, suddenly you get to a point in your life and you go, this isn't what I was expecting when I got here. And it's because you've been building your life with God's resources for so long and it's not ending well for you. Some of you, it's just because you're neglecting your relationship with God because you're too impressed with the temporal things in this world. God loves you too much. This love that we're talking about here will not turn a blind eye. It's his goodness coming after you. You ever ever wonder why we sing about his goodness coming after you? Because we're usually running in the wrong direction. And you cannot outrun God's faithful love. Church, stop. If that describes you, stop and turn and step back into that love. Press into that love and let him do what he lovingly wants to do in your life. you're a child of God, don't think for a minute that a physical trial or an emotional battle isn't the gracious love of God's discipline getting your attention. For others, your, your trial or battle may have nothing to do with a specific sin in your life. Instead, God's loving discipline is preparing you For what he wants you to become. It's like when I'm coaching and and you're having them run a play over and over again. Or you're conditioning and you're pushing someone to their limits. Not because they need those limits right now. Because you know as a good coach what they're going to face in about a week. And if they're not prepared, it's not going to be pretty. And God knows what's coming down the road for you. And he will go to any length in his goodness to get you ready for what he has in store. And you need to see that as good. You don't understand it right now, it seems random, it seems wrong. It seems every single thing that we comfort-seeking creatures hate. But this is what the psalmist has learned, that it is good, because God in this moment, he's moving you from middle school to high school. He's moving you from college to graduate school. He's moving you from amateur to pro. And it takes some disciplining pain to prepare you for that step in your life. But know that it's good. It's always good. And he's making you into the man or woman he wants you to become. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that every trial you face is good in and of itself. But what I am saying is that every trial you face is surrounded by the faithful love of God, sovereignly guiding it and using even the most evil of events in your life to produce the good that he wants to produce in you. See, many of these vents are, are Satan's attempt to destroy you or to discourage you and thwart God's plan. But God is sovereignly using them to shape you and to mold you and to turn you into the person that he is shaping you to become. And don't you believe for a minute that he is not involved. Even if he's not directly involved, he is intimately and sovereignly involved in that process. He is not unaware of of what is going on in your life. You might be saying, Chad, how in the heck can you say that, much less make sense of it? It's not about making sense of it. It's about believing what God has revealed about it. Spurgeon says, "If, if God reveals two truths which I cannot square with one another, I believe them both. There are things that you will not be able to understand because he's God. But he shows us over and over again, he reveals over and over again this truth. Look at Genesis 50, 20. We've heard this or maybe read it many times with Joseph who is sold by his brothers into Egypt, sold the slaves, probably thought he'd killed, and it says, you, Joseph says this, you, my brothers, planned evil against me, and it was evil, but God planned it for good to bring about the present result, the survival of many people. Both things are true. That was evil. God planned it for good you got to reconcile it. Acts 2, 23, Peter says this. Though he was delivered, talking about Jesus, though he was delivered up according to God's determined plan and foreknowledge, you, speaking to the Jewish people, use lawless people to nail him to a cross and kill him. Both things are true. You did an evil thing, and God predetermined in advance that this was going to happen. Both of those things are true. Hebrews 5.8 says this about Jesus. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. It was his suffering that developed obedience in him. You know, I want to mention, this is a side note, sometimes that happens in loss in our lives difficult loss that we can't understand and and we understand that it's a process and we offer a ministry called Grief Share here at Austin Oaks Church there's information about it at each of the little tables on the back here and maybe for you these holiday seasons can be really painful because of a loss that you've experienced we want to walk beside you with that and you can check that out and go on a journey with others that are experiencing that pain and difficulty as well But I want to just put on my pastor hat and speak some hard but good truth to you in this area. There's no comfort at all in believing that God had no part in your trial. Couldn't have done anything about it, wasn't aware of it, or he just chose to be passive. There's no comfort in that at all. There's no goodness in that. He is sovereign over every event in your life. And that doesn't mean he directly causes every event, but he is sovereign over them. The book of Job is a whole book dedicated to this truth, to this difficulty. I want to encourage you, read it. Wrestle with it. Before you send me an email about how upset you are about what I'm talking to you about, read that book. This is not me up here pontificating about anything that I have any great knowledge about. I am teaching you what God has revealed to us, and I'm challenging you as a church. If you want to give thanks to him for his goodness, even in the midst of difficulties, then you have to see him as good, and not create your categories of good, and then expect God to measure up to your categories. Because he's not God then. your guy God. And if you can't get yourself out of your situation, then you need someone who can. And he may not do it in the time you want, but he always does it in perfect timing. You see, likewise, you won't experience the depth of God's goodness simply by talking about deep things or, or studying deep things any more than talking about how deep the deep end of the pool is uh, or measuring how deep it is is, any de- is. is the same as jumping into it or getting into it. you got to get into the pool to experience this aspect of God's love. And you can experience it in a couple different ways. God helps us experience it in a couple different ways. He can toss you in the deep end against your will, right? Some of you experience that, right? It's like, surprise, whoa, my whole life is turned upside down. And in God's goodness, sometimes he he tosses you in to say, hey, you need to get out of the shallow end. You just need to go in a little bit, jump in, check it out. Or you can choose to swim towards the deep end and trust him in the midst. These are very different experiences. Very different. One is God's fatherly goodness, painfully pushing you to grow up and mature. The other is a sign of your maturity and your love for God, leading you to lay down your life for the sake of others. It's choosing To become more like Jesus. That's what we see in the last part of this psalm. Verses 22 through 27. Now, now, mindful, be mindful of this. They would sing this every Passover. For hundreds of years they did. It would be the last song they would sing after the Passover meal. If you've read in, in the Gospels, Matthew tells us that after they celebrated the Passover, Jesus sang a song with his disciples. And then they went in to the garden, the Gethsemane. This was the song they would have sung. This would have been the last song on the lips of Jesus before he walked into the garden. Listen to what they would have sung. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This came from the Lord, and it is wonderful in our sight. This is the day That the Lord has made. Let's rejoice and be glad in it. He's not talking about just a generic day. He's saying this day, the day that the stone was rejected, the day that everything we're gonna read about in this passage, this is the day that the Lord has made. And we should rejoice in it. It says, Lord, save us. Lord, please grant us success. He who comes in the name of the Lord is blessed. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. The Lord is God and has given us light. Bind the festival sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. Bind the festival sacrifice. Do you know what the festival sacrifice was? It was the Passover lamb. And do you know who the Passover lamb really is? It's Jesus. Jesus was singing a song of praise that was speaking about what he was about to become. How could God the Father let his Perfect, sinless son experienced such horrible tragedy, such incredible wickedness, such evil against him, such destruction and, and madness against his own son. Because his faithful love endures forever, it goes deeper than anything you could possibly imagine. My last point from this is, as I experience God's faithful love, when I trust he lovingly sent his son to be spiritually disciplined and physically destroyed for my sin. To be spiritually disciplined and physically destroyed. That's what happened to Jesus. He was physically destroyed for you and for me. And, And you know the disciples had no clue what was going on at that moment. But God did. And this passage points to the sovereign saving work of Jesus. But not only is Jesus' rejection sung about in this psalm, his his very sacrifice is sung. And it was the last thing on his lips that he sang before he walked in to wrestle with his father in the garden and be rejected by all of mankind and the leaders on that cross. You see, when the greatest evil this world has ever known was about to be committed. Let me say that again. When the greatest evil that this world has ever known was about to be committed, the person to whom it was being committed to was singing about the faithful love Of his father. See I step into the shallow end of the pool of God's faithful love. When I trust in his son for salvation and life. But I swim into the deep end of God's faithful love. When I follow Jesus' example. For the sake of others. So church, we're going to sing, we're going to worship, we're going to praise God for who he is and what he has done. What Jesus has done for you and for me, for his unending faithful love, for his demonstration of that love that will go to any length, the deepest part of the deepest pool, to save the worst of sinners in us. That is his faithful love, and that's what this psalmist is giving thanks for in him. So let's stand and and praise him and and sing of this truth ourselves and, and let it wash over us as we continue to worship today.
2: yourself and need I rejoice because you're there too. I won't be from my feelings. I hold fast to what is true. If the cross brings transformation, And I'll be crucified. Just kiss you there too. I won't be formed by feelings. I hold fast to what is true. If the cross brings transformation, then and I'll, I'll be crucified, crucified with you. His death is just a way
1: to resurrection. Life.
2: And if I join you in your suffering, then I join be. you. With all the angels yeah. ever since, my heart will still be seen, My soul oh, I it. It is well. and
0: We're not done yet. We're going to end on a good note. I promise you that. But we have one more thing to do. Go ahead and sit down. This is short, but it's going to be the most difficult part of the message. Because you're going to write it. It's time for you to write this truth in your heart. And on the back of your card or on your note, wherever you're doing this, here's what I want you to leave with today. What difficulty are you either walking through right now or maybe is in your past but you have not been able to see it for the good that God wanted to bring from it in your life? What have you not been able to hand back over to him and praise him and thank him for his goodness, even in the most painful of things? And don't believe for one minute that just because I have the privilege Standing here and sharing this truth with you. It does not speak to my own heart as well. You know, I'm not prone to cry. <laughs> but you also know I love to laugh. And I live with these conflicting emotions of incredible joy and deep sorrow because I believe this truth with all my heart that those tears will one day turn to joy. And I want you to believe that too. Jesus wants you, church. He wants us, church, to believe that truth because that truth will change a city and it's changed the world so please take 15 seconds right now even if you can't write it think it in your heart what is it past or present that you are struggling to see from God's good hand and what he was doing in your life with it to make you one who can point others to Jesus. And our worship team's gonna just close us out in just a minute.